This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you and I had lived many years ago in a certain place, we might be going around today saying, Happy New Year to everybody. Well, that sounds strange, doesn't it, on on October the 31st? Well, according to the old Celtic, or some say Celtic calendar, the first day of the new year was November the 1st. That's tomorrow. That would make the last day in October today to be New Year's Eve. But like Christmas, Easter, and other such religious holidays, the early church was not content to let the day before All Saints Day continue as a heathen holiday. And so instead of New Year's Day on November the 1st, we now have what's called All Saints Day. Consequently, the eve of All Saints Day has also taken on a special meaning. We think of a saint as one who is hallowed, as in the Lord's Prayer. We are taught to pray, hallowed, that's very special, set apart, hallowed be thy name. To hallow means to make holy, different, and thus the connection with the word saint. Now, trying to put all this together, we have the last day in October, today, as the evening or the day before All Saints or All Hallows Day. In other words, it is All Hallows Evening today, this evening. This has been shortened to something which we understand even better as we drop off the word all and shorten the word evening to en, e apostrophe en. And therefore we get Halloween, or as we know it, Halloween. Now, I know that's a mighty long introduction to a sermon, but while we're still thinking about Halloween, I thought it might be entirely proper today to begin by looking at the word and then using a passage of scripture today in which Paul describes the people to whom he writes as being bewitched. In Galatians 3, verse 1, we read, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's the King James Version. And that same rendering, though, is given in the Revised Standard Version. Uh, The New English Bible uses some the same words, uh, almost the same words, that says, you stupid Galatians, you must have been bewitched. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase of that verse, says it in these words, Oh, you dear idiots in Galatia, who saw Jesus Christ crucified so plainly, Who has been casting a spell over you? Some of you are familiar with the Amplified Bible, puts a lot of these words together and expresses it this way. Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting, senseless Galatians, who has fascinated or bewitched or cast a spell over you? Well, Paul seems to be quite upset here, doesn't he? What is it that's bothering Paul here? Why is he so bothered with all these people from Galatia? 
Why is he so outspoken? Well, let's back up just a minute. You remember Paul and Barnabas had traveled together on their missionary journey, the first one. And as they went about, Paul became sick and he had to be taken to the north to get to a cooler climate. He went to Galatia and therefore Paul's sickness was indirectly responsible for the people in Galatia hearing the gospel. Isn't it amazing how God works? Now, for hundreds of years, the Jews, Paul's ancestors, had believed and firmly taught that they were God's chosen people. In fact, they went so far as to say that only through Abraham could one have salvation. Oh, they agreed that other people could be saved, but this was through first becoming a Jew, through submitting to certain rites and rituals, such as circumcision, obedience to the law, and so forth. To these Jewish people, Christianity was only a movement within Judaism. But Paul came to Galatia and taught these people the truth of Jesus, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was superior to Judaism, and that salvation was dependent solely upon one's following the way of Jesus, whether or not he had even heard of Judaism. Paul taught that the death of Jesus on the cross had cleared the way for anyone to have salvation, regardless of his race, whether it was Jew or Gentile or something else. Didn't make any difference about his class or his birth, his nationality, or even his culture. This is what Paul had taught the Galatians, and this is what they had believed and accepted while he was there. But when Paul left Galatia, the Judaizers from Jerusalem came and took over, and they tried to tear down all that Paul had done and taught. They began with an attempt to discredit Paul himself. They said that he was not a qualified teacher in the first place, and they based their belittlement of Paul on the fact that he had not been a member of the original 12 apostles. Well, part of that observation is true. Paul was not one of the originals. He had a lot against him in many ways. He was the most savage of all the persecutors of the church. He held no official appointment from the leaders of the church. To put it in terms of our own day, we might imagine how it would be if Along came some man who had been strongly critical of Christianity, even to the point of arranging the death of Christians. But now he comes talking a new kind of talk, sympathetic to our beliefs. Huh. Okay, fella, we would say, we know about you and your past, but now that you're talking out of the other side of your mouth, let's ask, who was it who ordained you? Nobody, he answers. That is, nobody on earth. My commission came to me directly from Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 1.1, if you want to look it up. And then having established with these people his identity and the authority upon which he spoke, Paul goes ahead to refute the errors which had been fostered upon the people of Galatia. Uh, the apostle Paul is quite upset, obviously. Paul calls down even the judgment of God upon any man who would pervert the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read the words of Paul from Galatians chapter 1, verse six, verses 6 through 9. I'm reading from the contemporary English 
paraphrase. Paul said to the Galatians, I am shocked that you have so quickly turned from God who chose you because of his wonderful kindness. You have believed another message when there is really only one true message. But some people are causing you trouble and want to make you turn away from the good news about Christ. I pray that God will punish anyone who preaches anything different from our message to you. It doesn't matter if that person is one of us or an angel from heaven. I have said it before. I'll say it again. I hope God will punish anyone who preaches anything different from what you have already heard. That's quite strong, very strong language, isn't it? That's what Paul had to say to these people. One commentator says that Paul was so upset with these Galatians that he stopped short only of profanity. He could have used no stronger language and have remained within the bounds of propriety. And then in chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the Galatians, verse 1 and following, Paul talks specifically to these bewitched people of Galatia. Dr. William Barclay has a very interesting comment on this verse. Uh, first, let's hear the, his translation of that verse. O senseless Galatians, who has put the evil eye on you? You before whose very eyes Jesus Christ was placarded upon his cross. The Greeks had a great fear of a spell cast by what they called the evil eye. Time and time again, private letters ended with some such sentence as this. Above all, I pray that you may be in health, unharmed by the evil eye, and faring prosperously. In this same verse, Paul talks about Jesus being placarded. In the King James, the word is, he was evidently set forth. In the Revised Standard Version, it says publicly portrayed before them on a cross. The original word here is one that is used for putting up a poster. It's actually used for a notice put up by a father to say he will no longer be responsible for his son's debts. Public announcement. People sometimes put ads in the newspaper in the classified ad section saying they are not responsible for somebody else's debts. I heard of a blacksmith in a community years ago who announced through a paper a change in his business as follows. He was a rather illiterate fellow, but very honest. His notice read as follows. The co-partnership heretofore resisting between me and Mose Skinner is hereby resolved. Them what owed the firm will settle with me, and them what the firm owes will settle with Mose. <laughs> This word in the scripture is also used for uh, something like a yard sale or uh, garage sale, putting up an announcement about an auction sale. This was the idea. Paul was reminding the people that Jesus had been publicly placarded, put up a placard before them, as the, Paul, the apostle had told them plainly about Jesus' death on the cross for their sins. As Paul wrote to some church members who had been led astray by false teaching, so do we today need to sit up and take notice of our own condition as we investigate our faith and discover whether or not we've been bewitched by some false gospel. 
Well, how do we today become bewitched? Paul gives us the answers. Let me suggest several things. When the test of Christianity becomes a matter of following certain ceremonies. Leslie Weatherhead tells of a boy who decided to become a minister. He was asked when he had come to that decision. He replied that he had made up his mind after hearing a certain sermon in the school chapel. And then he was asked the name of the preacher who spoke. The boy's answer was this. I don't know who the preacher was. I don't know his name. But I do know God spoke to me that day. In the final analysis, no person can make another person become a servant of God. Only the grace of God can do that. The real test of a Christian is not whether or not one has gone through certain ceremonies or taken certain vows. The only real question is, have you really seen Jesus face to face? Have you received him in your heart? Paul said that church members were bewitched when the test of Christianity became a matter of following certain ceremonies. We have a lot of that in our organized churches these days, don't we? A second thing that lets us know if we're bewitched is when church members get their eyes off of the cross as the center of Christian life. Look again at Galatians 3.1. You foolish Galatians who put a spell on you. Right before your eyes, you had a plain description of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. To Paul, the cross was first and central, together with the other side of the cross, the resurrection. I heard some time ago about an enthusiastic fisherman who related how he kept losing his bait in a rather mysterious way. He never could catch anything. As he drew in his line and looked at his hook more closely, though, he saw that by some accident, the barb had been broken off of the hook. The fish were getting the bait as a free meal, but there was no catching them. The story of God's love cannot be told if we leave out the ugliness of the cross. The saving grace which comes to us through the death of Jesus on the cross is like that barb on a fishing hook. If we leave out this part of the gospel, we might have people attracted to us, but they'll only come and take the bait. We'll not catch them. You remember several years ago when the movie uh, The Passion of the Christ came out? That's a movie I did not enjoy at all. It showed the ugliness of crucifixion. A lot of people didn't approve of that movie because it was so gruesome what they did to Christ. But that's the way it really was. In one of our hymns we sing, Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no languor know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. There's so many people in our world today who are bewitched in yet another way. And that's when, becoming, when being a Christian consists of doing certain things. These people would say it's not what a person believes that matters, it's what it does. How does he live? Does he follow the Ten Commandments? Does he practice living the Golden Rule? Making a passing grade on these questions might satisfy these bewitched people. Let me make up a little story to illustrate what I'm talking about. 
Let's say the preacher's telephone rings. It's the funeral director calling. Will the minister conduct the funeral service for, we'll say, Mr. John Doe? He just died. So the minister goes and talks with the family. And among the things he tries to discover is the answer to the question, was John Doe a Christian? Had he ever professed his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior? And so the widow or some family member answers, well, preacher, no, he was not a Christian, but he was a good man. He was honest, truthful. He was a good provider. He was a good worker, a good neighbor. He was always good to his children. No, preacher, I don't reckon he had anything to do with the church, as you know, because he was always so busy with his work. And then, too, he was disappointed in some of the members of that church over there. He said they were hypocrites the way they live, you know. But I don't want you to think that he didn't believe in God. I'm sure he was not an atheist, but he just never got around to making any kind of profession of faith in Jesus. He always told the truth. He paid his debts. He contributed to others who were needy in town. He was generous in support of athletic teams for the youth. And although John did not claim to be one, I guess you might say he was a Christian from all he did to help others. You know what the Apostle Paul would say to all that? Hogwash. You have been bewitched if you think that all you do can make you a Christian. Paul knew that if anything other than simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ was necessary for salvation, then this practice would become a ceremony and a ritual. And once that was established, people would substitute that for having a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And that would not be sufficient. Listen once again as we close our thoughts this morning. Listen to the words of what Paul had to say when he speaks for himself. I'm reading now from Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, 20, and then skip over to the sixth uh, chapter. Galatians 2.16 Keep away from the worthless and useless talk. It only leads people farther away from God. That sort of talk is like a sore that won't heal. Hymenaeus and Philetus have been talking the way that way by teaching that the dead have already been raised to life. This is far from the truth. It's destroying the faith of a lot of people. Then down to verse 20. In a large house, some dishes are made of gold or silver, while others are made of wood or clay. Some of these are special and others are not special. And then over to the sixth chapter, I want to read uh, verse uh, 14. This is uh, Galatians 2.14. If you have your Bible, you might want to follow some of these passages I've been reading. Uh, those of you here in the sanctuary, you know, uh, we put these on the screen each Sunday so you can jot them down and you can read them uh, later at your leisure. All right, Galatians 6, verse 14. Paul says, I will never brag about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his cross, the world is dead as far as I'm concerned, and I am dead as far as the world is concerned. There's another gospel song we sometimes sing. 
Uh, Only a sinner saved by grace is a title. Neither the words, not have I gotten but what I received. Grace has bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. On this Halloween day for this year, many people might be frightened by ghosts and goblins. But we as Christians know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And that you that can be in you is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And we pray that the Spirit of Jesus might so fill our lives that no one can say about us that we are bewitched. Oh God, help us to be faithful to you, we pray, and to know that only through Jesus we have eternal life. In his wonderful name we pray. Amen.